This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always learning how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of WealthAbility. So what if you could reduce your income tax today and at the same time leave a legacy for your family? We have a rare opportunity today to look at the interplay between income tax planning and estate planning. This is not just for people who have a lot of, uh, who are expecting to have an estate tax. I mean, you know, these days you have to have, you know, 20 plus million dollars in, um, if you're a married couple, uh, when you die before you have any kind of estate tax. So we're not, we're not focused on that at all. What we're looking at is anybody who even has a home, anybody who has a business, anybody has any investments that they would like to leave to their family. There's this, this, remarkable opportunity to get those assets to your family in the right way and at the same time reduce your income tax. So I, uh, you know, I look at it as it's, it's really how income tax planning and estate planning, they work together to create really a better life for you today and a better life for your family tomorrow. And I have a, a remarkable guest um, today who is one of the few, frankly, one of the few estate planners I mean, state planning attorney and one of the few state planning attorneys I've ever met who actually understands income tax and the role that income tax and estate planning play together. And so I'd like to, to introduce a good friend of mine. We've worked together for years and years and years, and uh, he's taken care of many of our many of our clients and done, done a terrific job with them. And his name is Andrew Howell. Andrew, welcome. Uh, Tom, thank you so much. Now I just have to live up to that introduction, but... Uh... I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on your on your podcast. Well, thank you, Andrew. So if you would, just to start out, would you give our listeners just a little bit of your background and, you know, you know why why we work together? Yeah, so the, so the elevator conversation, right? I'm there you a, go. I, I, so I always tell people I'm an estate planning lawyer. I'm a co-founding partner of a firm here in Salt Lake City, Utah called uh, York Howell and Guyman. And we specialize in estate planning and tax work, asset protection, that's all I've ever done for the last 18 years, and, and I, I really like it because I get to feel like I'm not a real lawyer. Right? I'm, getting, I'm getting to help people sleep well at night, not suing them and making their lives worse. So any good attorney jokes, you, you know I'm always game for, and, and feel free to let them fly because I'll just join in the fun. Um, yeah, so we specialize in, in the gambit from you know, husband and wife and two kids who need sort of a basic estate plan to all very sophisticated tax work and uh, estate planning work. All right. Well, well, thank you, Andrew. So a- Andrew's being very modest. He, um, like I said, um, wh- what we've got is uh, people typically, they have an income tax advisor, a tax advisor, who is typically an accountant, and their specialty is income tax. And they know how to reduce, you know, they may know how to reduce income tax. They're helping you with your income tax. And then we have estate planning attorneys who are very good at transferring assets when you die or transferring assets when you're living, and they're very focused on the estate planning. What's unusual is when you have people who understand both sides of it. And what most people don't recognize is that there is a massive interplay between income tax and estate planning. I'm not just talking about estate tax. I'm talking about just estate planning. So Andrew, how would you, just for our listeners, just basics, when you think of estate planning, 
how would you summarize what is estate planning basically? So we, we always call estate planning, it's the art. And we really do use the word art because no two plans are the same, right? Your estate plan, Tom, looks different than mine. And, and you need to be able to work with that planner that can sit down with you and first find out what are you trying to accomplish, right? What are the goals of the family? What are you, what are you trying to build? What kind of legacy? Uh, are you charitably inclined? Are there special issues with family members? And, and it's sort of this art of coming in, meeting with the client, and then being able to accomplish their goals of what they want to have happen with their estate. Now, that involves, you know, the technical things like wills and trusts and all of those types of technical documents. But I also think estate planning is a lot broader. In my mind, estate planning is also how are you dealing with your estate while you're still alive, right? Not just when you die, but how is the, the, the tax efficiency working within your estate? Again, that's tax planning. And then how do you make sure this estate you work so hard to create is protected from this litigious society? So that brings in asset protection planning as well. And I, I think that, you know, what I'd love to do when I'm talking to clients about this, because it's hard to sort of understand how these interplays, is that I, I like to just give an example. And the example I always give is this. Let's say that, that Tom, I decide that I'm going to buy my dream car, which is a 1971 Chevelle 454 SS. And I pay $50,000 for this car, and I drive it for a few years, and I enjoy it, but I decide I want to get something else. And it's appreciated in value over that time. It's now worth $75,000. And I decide that I'm going to give it to you right, during my lifetime to get it out of my estate. I don't want that asset, whatever it might be. And so I give it to you, right? And as you well know, what you do is you now have a $75,000 gift, the fair market value of that car when I gave it to you. But you have to take what I paid for that car as your basis, right? $50,000. So you decide that you sell it the next day because you don't want this gas guzzler sitting in your driveway. You sell it for $75,000, you have $25,000 of gain that you have to pay capital gains tax on. Now, take that entire scenario, but flip it and say, okay, what if I don't give it to you during my lifetime, but instead I leave you this uh, car at my death as an inheritance? An inheritance now get this stepped-up basis. So not only do you still get this $75,000 car at my death and yeah, state taxes and so forth have to be factored in on that. But you have a $75,000 basis. There's this stepped up that occurred because of the transfer of assets at my death to you. You sell it the next day, you have no capital gains tax to pay. And so that's the, that's the hard tightrope that we walk with our clients in terms of you know, what do you need inside of your estate and how do we plan around that for all of the other things that are outside of this vacuum of taxes. You know, ultimately, what does the family need? What are the goals of the family? All of those things, again, come first. But then just making sure that the next generation, whatever that might be, whether it's kids, whether it's a charity, legacy, whatever it might be, receives those assets in the most efficient way so they still maintain the most power. They're still there, and we don't have to chip away a 40% estate tax on those things. Exactly. So, so here's the other thing that I think is important, uh, I find, with uh, our clients they, they still want to be in control. So they, they want to make sure that their family gets taken care of when they die. They want the income tax benefits now of, you know, maybe um, using their children's tax brackets, maybe um, uh, creating passive income uh, by transferring assets to their children. But they want to control it because <laughs> they don't want to give up use of the assets. They don't want to give up control of the assets. And so what I love about what when we work together, Andrew, is that what we're able to what we're typically able to do is transfer those assets in a tax efficient way so that it gives us the best tax benefit, whether it's um, and, and we might even end up keeping it 
we can transfer it. In other words, we, we may even transfer it for income tax purposes, but not transfer it for estate, ta- estate purposes. We might transfer it for estate purposes and not transfer it for income tax purposes. And I think what most people miss is that there's so much flexibility in what we can do from, uh, you know, when, as far as transferring assets and retaining control. Would, would that be fair? Oh, it's totally fair. There's, I mean, the, the toolbox that we have is very, very deep in, in what we can implement uh, to, to accomplish the goals. Again, find the goals first, and then we can always back into how to create those goals. And, and, and you know as well as I do that, like in that car example that I gave, I could easily do it where, let's say I wanted you to have enjoyment and use of that car, but I didn't really want to give it to you, and I still wanted to make sure that, hey, if you dent it up, I can take it back. So I can put it in a trust for your benefit. You can be responsible for all the tax obligations of that car. It's com- you know, and, and it can still be part of my estate for estate tax reasons. So that we go back. I now die. I leave you the car. You've gotten all of the tax burden during your lifetime. And then at your death, you get this step up basis in that asset as well. I mean, the tools are, are really kind of, it, it seems like I, I've been, like I said, practicing for 18 years. And it's just like every year, it seems like we come out with a new potential strategy or something that might work. And these are, you know, when we're talking about strategies, these are well-proven techniques that fall well within the tax code. I and mean, I have a you know, tax planning motto when I do stuff for people, which is nobody goes to jail, especially me, right? These are, the, <laughs> these are well-proven. You're, you're, you're very nice. You're, you, you clearly live in Salt Lake City because what I say is I, my, my goal in life is to never be anybody's girlfriend. <laughs> I like it. That's so, better than that. Absolutely. so, so, and, and I think this is, you know, we always do everything. We want it to be everything legal and, and I's dot and T's crossed for sure. I, you, you mentioned something earlier and that is, um, you know, when you start talking to a client, what's important is that you get a big picture of not just what their assets are and not just, um, you know, what they want to do when they die, but actually the relationship that they have with their family and really the entire family dynamic. Give us just a, you know, what what are some things that people ought to be looking for when they're speaking to an estate planning or and tax advisor, which, by the way, have to work together, okay? Andrew and I talk all the time. It's not in isolation. But what are some of the things that people can be looking for when they're talking to an estate planner or income tax planner that they ought to be looking for? What kind of questions? is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always learning how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So what if you could reduce your income tax today and at the same time leave a legacy for your family? We have a a rare opportunity today to look at the interplay between income tax planning and estate planning. This is not just for people who have a lot of, uh, who are expecting to have an estate tax. I mean, you know, these days you have to have, you know, 20 plus million dollars in, if you're a married couple, uh, when you die before you have any kind of estate tax. So we're not, we're not focused on that at all. What we're looking at is anybody who even has a home 
anybody who has a business, anybody who has any investments that they would like to leave to their family, there's this, this remarkable opportunity to get those assets to your family in the right way and at the same time reduce your income tax. So I, uh, you know, I look at it as it's, it's really how income tax planning and estate planning, they work together to create really a better life for you today and a better life for your family tomorrow. And I have a, a remarkable guest um, today who is one of the few, frankly, one of the few estate planners, I um, mean, estate planning attorney, and one of the few estate planning attorneys I've ever met who actually understands income tax and the role that income tax and estate planning play together. And so I'd like to, to introduce a good friend of mine. We've worked together for years and years and years, and uh, he's taken care of many of our, many of our clients and done, done a terrific job with them, and his name is Andrew Howell. Andrew, welcome. Uh, Tom, thank you so much. Now I just have to live up to that introduction, but uh, I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be on your on your podcast. Well, thank you, Andrew. So if you would, just to start out, would you give our listeners just a little bit of your background and, you know, you know why why we work together? Yeah, so the, so the elevator conversation, right? I'm there you a, go. I, I, so I always tell people I'm an estate planning lawyer. I'm a co-founding partner of a firm here in Salt Lake City, Utah called uh, York Howell and Guyman. And we specialize in estate planning and tax work, asset protection. That's all I've ever done for the last 18 years, and, and I, I really like it because I get to feel like I'm not a real lawyer. But I'm getting I'm getting to help people sleep well at night, not suing them and making their lives worse. So any good attorney jokes, you, you know I'm always game for, and, and feel free to let them fly because I'll just join in the fun. Um, yeah, so we specialize in in the gambit from you know husband and wife and two kids who need sort of a basic estate plan to all very sophisticated tax work and uh, estate planning work. All right. Well, well, thank you, Andrew. So a- Andrew's being very modest. He, um, like I said, um, wh- what we've got is uh, people typically, they have an income tax advisor, a tax advisor, who is typically an accountant, and their specialty is income tax. And they know how to reduce, you know, they may know how to reduce income tax. They're helping you with your income tax. And then we have estate planning attorneys who are very good at transferring assets when you die or transferring assets when you're living, and they're very focused on the estate planning. What's unusual is when you have people who understand both sides of it. And what most people don't recognize is that there is a massive interplay between income tax and estate planning. I'm not just talking about estate tax. I'm talking about just estate planning. So Andrew, how would you, just for our listeners, just basics, when you think of estate planning, how would you summarize what is estate planning, basically? So we we always call estate planning, it's the art. And we really do use the word art because no two plans are the same, right? Your estate plan, Tom, looks different than mine. and, And you need to be able to work with that planner that can sit down with you and first find out what are you trying to accomplish, right? What are the goals of the family? What are you, what are you trying to build? What kind of legacy? Uh, are you charitably inclined? Are there special issues with family members? And, and it's sort of this art of coming in, meeting with the client, and then being able to accomplish their goals of what they want to have happen with their estate. Now, that involves, you know, the technical things like wills and trusts and all of those types of technical documents. But I also think estate planning is a lot broader. In my mind, estate planning is also how are you dealing with your estate while you're still alive? 
right? Not just when you die, but how is the, the, the tax efficiency working within your estate? Okay, that's tax planning. And then how do you make sure this estate you work so hard to create is protected from this litigious society? So that brings in asset protection planning as well. And I, I think that, you know, what I'd love to do when I'm talking to clients about this, because it's hard to sort of understand how these interplays is that I, I like to just give an example. And the example I always give is this. Let's say that, that, Tom, I decide that I'm going to buy my dream car, which is a 1971 Chevelle 454 SS, and I pay $50,000 for this car, and I drive it for a few years, and I enjoy it, but I decide I want to get something else, and it's appreciated in value over that time. It's now worth $75,000, and I decide that I'm going to give it to you right, during my lifetime to get it out of my estate. I don't want that asset, whatever it might be. And so I give it to you, right? And as you all know, what you do is you now have a $75,000 gift, the fair market value of that car when I gave it to you. But you have to take what I paid for that car as your basis, right? $50,000. So you decide that you sell it the next day because you don't want this gas guzzler sitting in your driveway. You sell it for $75,000. You have $25,000 of gain that you have to pay capital gains tax on. Now, take that entire scenario, but flip it and say, okay, what if I don't give it to you during my lifetime, but instead I leave you this uh, car at my death as an inheritance? An inheritance now get this stepped up basis. So not only do you still get this $75,000 car at my death, and yeah, state taxes and so forth have to be factored in on that, but you have a $75,000 basis. There's this stepped up that occurred because of the transfer of assets at my death to you. You sell it the next day, you have no capital gains tax to pay. And so that's the, that's the hard tightrope that we walk with our clients in terms of, you know, what do you need inside of your estate and how do we plan around that for all of the other things that are outside of this vacuum of taxes? You know, ultimately, what does the family need? What are the goals of the family? All of those things, again, come first. But then just making sure that the next generation, whatever that might be, whether it's kids, whether it's a charity, legacy, whatever it might be, receives those assets in the most efficient way so they still maintain the most power. They're still there, and we don't have to chip away a 40% estate tax on those things. Exactly. So so here's the other thing that I think is important. Uh, I find with uh, our clients, they they still want to be in control. So they, they want to make sure that their family gets taken care of when they die. They want the income tax benefits now of, you know, maybe – um, using their children's tax brackets, maybe um, uh, creating passive income uh, by transferring assets to their children, but they want to control it because <laughs> they don't want to give up use of the assets. They don't want to give up control of the assets. And so what I love about what when we work together, Andrew, is that what we're able to what we're typically able to do is transfer those assets in a tax efficient way so that it gives us the best tax benefit, whether it's, um, and, and we might even end up keeping it, we can transfer it. In other words, we, we may even transfer it for income tax purposes, but not transfer it for estate, ta- estate purposes. We might transfer it for estate purposes and not transfer it for income tax purposes. And I think what most people miss is that there's so much flexibility in what we can do from, uh, you know, when as far as transferring assets and retaining control, would, would that be fair? Oh, it's totally fair. There's, I mean, the, the toolbox that we have is very, very deep in, in what we can implement uh, to, to accomplish the goals. Again, find the goals first, and then we can always back into how to create those goals. And, and, and you know as well as I do that, like in that car example that I gave, I could easily do it where, let's say I wanted you to have enjoyment and use of that car. 
but I didn't really want to give it to you. And I still wanted to make sure that, Hey, if you dent it up, I can take it back. So I can put it in a trust for your benefit. You can be responsible for all the tax obligations of that car. It's you know, and, and it can still be part of my estate for estate tax reasons. So that we go back, I now die. I leave you the car. You've gotten all of the tax burden during your lifetime, and then at your death, you get this step-up basis in that asset as well. I mean, the tools are, are really kind of – it seems like – I've been, like I said, practicing for 18 years, and it's just like every year it seems like we come out with a new potential strategy or something that might work. And these are – you know, when we're talking about strategies, these are well-proven techniques that fall well within the tax code. I and mean, I have a you know, tax planning motto when I do stuff for people, which is nobody goes to jail, especially me, right? These are, the, <laughs> these are well-proven. You're, you're, you're very nice. You're, you, you clearly live in Salt Lake City because what I say is I, my, my goal in life is to never be anybody's girlfriend. <laughs> I like it. That's so, better than that. Absolutely. so, so, and, and I think this is, you know, we always do everything. We want it to be everything legal and, and eyes dotted and T's crossed for sure. I, you, you mentioned something earlier, and that is, um, you know, when you start talking to a client, what's important is that you get a big picture of not just what their assets are, not just, um, you know, what they want to do when they die, but actually the relationship that they have with their family and really the entire family dynamic. Give us just a, you know, what, what are some things that people ought to be looking for when they're speaking to a, a, an estate planning or and tax advisor, which, by the way, have to work together, okay? Andrew and I talk all the time. We, it's not in isolation. But what are some of the things that people can be looking for when they're talking to an estate planner or income tax planner that they ought to be looking for? What kind of questions should be asked and what, you know, what kind of opportunities are there? Yeah. Um, so obviously, I always like to tell people, you know, speak with somebody and who's done this and did you have a good experience with that planner? They need to have certain qualifications. Obviously, you want somebody that's been out a few years. It does. This is this is a very specialized area of the the law. I always tell people I know a whole lot about a very little, and and so you want somebody that's got some 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 uh, age, maybe a little bit of gray hair uh, is always a good thing, and that's why I'm happy I have my kids. But you know, another thing that we're noticing, and these are kind of the topics of the the two books that we've written, Tom, and you know are well aware of this. This is sometimes where we kind of go back to what should you expect upon that first meeting with the planner? And what we're finding is clients are not getting what they expect because they're actually demanding something different than that planner is, is able to give them. And I, and so when, when I say that, I mean, it's going to probably be difficult because a lot of planners aren't, aren't really up to speed in kind of what I'm about to go through, which is generational levels now are looking at something much different than say our, our grandparents' generation where estate planning in our world really evolved, right? The, the, the passage of wealth the, to the highest degree possible without any consequence or thought put into the purpose those, those assets were being left for. Like in, in our book, Entrusted, we talk about you know, financial wealth being like dynamite. It's not good or bad. It just is. It can be used for good or bad. But the, the, the similarities between dynamite and wealth is that they're both going to make an impact. The question is, how, what kind of an impact are they going to make? And so many people with their estate plan are just hiding, handing over that, that lit that stick of dynamite to their kids and hoping they don't blow themselves up. So the, the, the point of what, what I'm saying here is, is I think that the very first conversation with your estate planner, after you're comfortable with the qualifications and that, that you know that they can do what they say that they're going to do, is, is 
what is the first thing they ask you? And if the first thing they ask you is how much are you worth, what's your you know, net worth on your balance sheet, God, that's a tough one because uh, then I'm thinking the planner is not really caring a whole lot about what you're trying to build, right? It's like the planner is going to come in to, and tell you, oh, this is how many two-by-fours, this is how many sheets of plywood or, or sheetrock you need in order to build that house, but there's no plan. There's no blueprints for building that house. I think you've got to have the blueprints first. And then we use all of these tools that we're talking about to get there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That I, I tell people the very first conversation we're going to have, and when, when we meet with people, you know, we're meet, meeting with them for really anywhere from three to six months um, to put all this together. And the very first meeting, we're going to spend an hour just me asking questions, just understanding, because I want to understand everything. I want to understand, I don't just, like you say, don't want to just understand the assets. I want to understand what their goals are. I actually, and I, I, I happen to know you'll agree with this, I want to understand their relationship with their children and what they talk about with their children about money. Because, um, you know, one of the, the things we talk about, and we won't get too into it because it's fairly complex is this uh, beneficiary defective trust where you actually have a trust um, just to give people an overview it, this is a trust where the uh, the assets are in the trust but the beneficiary is the one that's being taxed on it and, and the reason we might want to do that there's a lot of income tax consequence here. For example, let's say we've got passive losses from real estate and we don't have any passive income and we can't be a real estate professional, then what we may want to do is have the, the kids own part of the real estate so they get the passive losses, but they also own part of our business, which the business to us is active, but the business to them is passive. So they, on their tax return, on their tax return, they're going to show the income Income, some of the income from the business because it's a pass-through entity like an S corporation or a or a partnership, and they're also going to uh, show some of the losses from the real estate. Now the challenge is that I see Andrew is that if you don't have a relationship with your children, now it's fine when they're minors because they're not going to see that income tax return, but all of a sudden they grow up, and I I know your kids are still young, but mine are all grown up. And uh, in fact, I have to laugh because you talk about 18 years. I've been doing 18 years like that's a long time. I mean, that's like yesterday to me, you know, <laughs> 30, I'm, I'm basically double that. So, um, so uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean you're half my age, just half my age in, in, uh, in, in career. But um, so, so Tom, I've been married for 17 years. I'm going to, I'm going to go home and tell my wife that she shouldn't, she shouldn't feel like it's felt as long to her as it has. Well, you know, it may be that, that you've been married 17 years and it feels to her like 35 years. I mean, I, that's exactly it, what I mean. I <laughs> anyway, so so but what happens is all of a sudden your kids grow up and all of a sudden they're signing their tax return. You're not signing anymore. And what they see is, oh, look, I've got money sitting here. Well, I would never do if if if, if what you tell me in that first meeting is that you don't talk about money with your kids. That's not something that's open to discussion. I honestly, even though it would be good from an income tax, tax standpoint, I don't want to do that because like Andrew says, like you say, Andrew, it's dynamite. And, yeah. and I've actually seen kids' marriages break up over this income tax plan. I actually had an experience early on in my career 
where um, the, the uh, actually income tax planner had done a terrific job and had done, and back then we could e do even more because we had, uh, kids had their own income tax rates. So, you know, we could split up the income and get lower tax brackets and all sorts of stuff just by transferring ownership. So the, the, the daughter gets married and she married somebody who's never had money. And she grew up with money, but they, he's never had money. And he sees their first income tax return. And what he all of a sudden dawns on him is that he's married to a trust fund baby. And he'd never known that. And so, you know, you might have a relationship with your kids, but what about your kids' spouses? And you don't know what's going to happen to those kids' spouses. And one of the things that, um, Andrew, maybe talk about just for a minute is um, how important it is to build flexibility into these plans because of changes in your life. Oh, without, without question, you need flexibility. Again, going back to what we were talking about just a little bit earlier, where clients are demanding to put more purpose into their trust things like that, and setting up a family really believes in what their core values are and using that as our North Star in terms of planning. I always see people trying to be really restrictive, right? Oh, my kids don't get anything until they graduate from college. And I'm always going, wait a minute, is that really what you want to do? Because what's happening there is they're elevating a, a preference to a principle. Right? I don't know what they're going for is they want to they want their kids to be educated because they feel that education will allow them on a start on life and they can be self-sufficient. They want to make them on their own. Well, I think all of us would probably want our kids to be self-sufficient and make it on our own. That's a, that's a principle that I think is fundamental. The preference, though, of college to get there might not always be the right way, and certainly it isn't the right way for every child. I mean, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates would never have been receiving anything should, you know, should they, because they didn't graduate from college. So being too restrictive, I think, is a difficult thing, but also in terms of building flexibility, because a lot of the trust that you and I use and stuff for these plannings are, uh, our plans are, are what we call irrevocable trusts, and, and that means they, they can't be changed. Um, now, that really used to mean that under old laws where if you created a trust that was irrevocable, it was set in stone, there was no flexibility in it. Um, you know, most states, in fact, I think all states now have adopted some form of the Uniform Trust Code, which provides much more flexibility in terms of making adjustments and, and so forth. So you've got to make sure that, um, that your planning has the ability to evolve and change because I promise your life will, right? Your, the tax laws are going to change. Your family dynamics are going to change. Um, the estate tax laws are going to change. So, you know, this is the reason that I always tell people that one of the busiest days of the year for me is the Monday after Thanksgiving because everybody's been crammed together all as a family for four straight days, and I want to cut each other out of each other's estate plan, right? So <laughs> it is always something that we want to have that flexibility to come back in and say, hey, we need to make some changes. Oh, that, that's great. So, Andrew, if, if you could give people uh, three tips when it comes to, and, and again, I, I want to include both the income tax and the estate planning, but when it comes to estate planning, because it's, I think it's in the estate planning that typically um, your colleagues, not you, but which is why we've got you on the, on, on the uh, podcast today, but your colleagues tend to ignore the income tax side. What are, uh, if you could think of, of two or three things that our listeners really ought to be paying attention to or two things that they could actually do that would, you know, help them take care of their family when they're gone. And, you know, even if they don't have much in the way of assets, but really take care of their family and at the same time, uh, maintain control over their assets and reduce their income tax. So, so 
you know, if you if you simplified it down, and I, I suspect you have in already, so what would you tell people? So the first thing, of course, and this is this is me being a little bit biased, but do it right. Do your estate planning. Get a will, get a trust, get a power of attorney document, meet with a blood-sucking vampire lawyer, go through that pain and, and get it in place. Because what you're doing there is you really are taking control of a lot of very important decision-making within your planning and your family protection, right? If you have minor children through that estate planning, that's where you're spilling out who's going to take custody of them, right? Who will be their guardian? You're also making sure that the assets pass correctly to a spouse, to children. And, you know, I'm a big fan of never leaving anything outright to kids. And we could do a whole other podcast on that. So, and, and what we found is 70% of the population doesn't do their estate plan. This is not fun stuff, right? Talking about death and taxes with the Grim Reaper lawyer. Nobody wants to do it. And so if you haven't done it, 70% of the population out there, go and do it. Now, second recommendation, if you have done it, right, the other 30% of the population, make sure that it has been updated. What we found, we wrote a, an article a few years ago for Trust in the States magazine, and we, we, we did a study of, of all of our clients, how long has it had been since they actually reviewed their estate plan, if they'd even done it. And we found on average it was 15 years. Oh, wow. If you can imagine how much changes in your life in 15 years, not to mention just in the vacuum of taxes here, we had a huge tax law change back in 2013, January 2nd, when they adopted this Taxpayer Relief Act of 2012. And what that did is, is it introduced this new concept of portability. We don't need to get into that. But it basically means is that if you have an estate less than $22.8 million right now, that your trust could very well be operating the wrong way if it was done prior to 2013. So if your planning was done prior to 2013, meet with your lawyer, have it updated because there's a big tax issue there that could come back to bite you. Um, and then, you know, I, I love the idea of what you were saying a moment ago which is sort of the third thing. Be clear about what you're trying to accomplish. And there's so many different ways to, to do that. I mean, there's books that talk about it. Uh, we have programs, I'm sure you have, you know, through your connections, Tom, a bunch of different programs where families can really decide what it is in terms of not just financial literacy. Like you said before, I think that's huge because your kids are not going to learn financial literacy in school. And quite honestly, you probably don't want them to. Um, but you need to be in charge of that fi financial literacy training of your children, and, and I am a big fan of opening the books, right? Making sure you set clear expectations with kids, and you also do this in an age-appropriate way, but meaning I'm in control, this is all my stuff, but I want you to start getting a taste of what's going on here. And, you know, I, I sort of live this. My, my grandpa, who was a big mentor in my life, he would always include my sister and I in, in, in family meetings with our accountants and financial advisors and so forth. So, you know, by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I was speaking the language already. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of creating that family interaction and that involvement and determining the financial literacy. What are the weak spots? Where do we need to spend, uh, spend a little bit more time? Uh, I, so, yeah, I, I do think it. Update think, and then concentrate on family. That's awesome, Andrew. Thank you for uh, simplifying that. The, the, I, I, I'm going to add an, a number four, a little bonus here, and that is make sure that your income tax planner and your estate planner are talking to each other. Um, so make sure your accountant and your attorney talk to each other and that they coordinate this because um, what I find, and uh, not you, Andrew, but most attorneys, is that attorneys are very good with language and very bad with numbers. And accountants are very good with numbers and very bad with language. And so this is an opportunity to get both the numbers and the language right so that it works properly. Your estate plan works from a, 
you know, from the language standpoint, it protects your assets, it gets them where they're supposed to go, which is the attorney's job. And then it also works from a number standpoint, because remember, when it comes down to it, it's all about the numbers and what it is, because there's a dollar value. And, and to your kids and your, your, your family, your legacy, I guarantee that there is a dollar value in their minds to you know, to that legacy. And so having that dollar value work properly, like Andrew said, you know, we have this big estate planning exemption, but it could go away. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I remember very clearly when it was $600,000 and now it's 22.8 million. So some of, some of the, you know, this is, as you know, a very political issue and, and Republicans have a tendency to not like this estate tax. Democrats have a tendency to like the estate tax. And the two Democrat candidates that we're watching sort of right now, Bernie Sanders and, and Biden. Well, Bernie wants a 75 percent federal estate tax. And, and um, Biden came out a couple of weeks ago and said the first thing that he would do if he became president was to eliminate the Trump tax uh, reform. So this is absolutely going to change. And again, like why you said earlier, this is a moving target. We really need to always uh, make sure that the planning is on top for the ch- for the client. No, thanks, Andrew. So, Andrew, uh, this has been terrific. Thank you so much. Tell our listeners where they can fi- how they can find you. So, best way is email. Always, um, I have this corny this corny email address. It's, it's teamandrew at yorkhowell.com, and that's y o r k h o w e l l dot com. And that goes to my paralegals and assistants just to make sure that I don't miss an email. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to speak with anybody. And I really, I do appreciate the chance very much to be on your podcast. Tom. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and everybody remember that when you're, when you can work your income tax planning with your estate plan, and this is just a, this is a, a huge deal here. What you can do is you're going to reduce your income taxes now and at the same time, you're going to provide for your family. And because you're reducing your income tax now, you're going to have more money to build wealth. So my experience with uh, our listeners, most of you, you want to build a legacy for your family. You want to take care of your family. You want to take care of a lot of times you want, you have charitable causes. You want to take care of them as well. And reducing your income tax now is a really major part of that, which is, you know, what wealth ability is all about is, you know, when, when you really when you combine this estate planning, your estate planning attorney with the income tax and your income tax planning accountant, when you put that all together, you're always going to end up with way more money and way less taxes. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. As an additional thank you, I want to give a special gift just to our podcast listeners to help you jumpstart your journey to building massive wealth tax-free. This is a group of not just one, but five of my top educational resources on this topic. There are several amazing, helpful PDF downloads and two training videos. These resources are not available and we don't give them away anywhere else. So get these bonuses now. All you have to do is go to wealthability.com slash gift. That's wealthability.com forward slash G-I-F-T and get these gifts to jumpstart your wealth now. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.